In Daniel chapter 1, verse 18 through 19, it says, At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. Today we have found the four men of our apocalypse. Now we're just missing some horses. This is day two. Welcome to the Journey Through Daniel podcast, where every day we set aside space in our lives to experience God's Word. Together we'll discuss the content and meaning of each passage and how the book of Daniel can help us understand more about who God is and the story He's writing for each of us every day. Welcome back to day two of the Journey Through Daniel podcast. I'm here once again with Brendan Lang, the author of the Journey Through Daniel commentary. I'm also joined by Kelly Kang, who is the author of the student book for the Journey Through Daniel. Glad to have you. Glad to be here. What do you do? That's a great question. It changes every day, every week. Technically, I am Amy's assistant, but my job is really fluid, so I get to support all the different teams with random projects, which is kind of how I ended up here. Kelly is an integral part of our art direction. Pretty much everything. And pre- yeah, pretty much everything our church does, but specifically with Journey, she wrote the Journey student book, but also just speaks into how and why we do things and is also quite the artist when it comes to dealing with our photo shoots and videos and all that stuff. So Y'all are very generous, but thank you. Brendan, and I have a question. Let's hear it. How's your diet going? How's my diet? Which diet? You tell me. The <laughs> I start a new diet every week and it doesn't, <laughs> exactly. doesn't get past Monday. All we needed was 10 days yeah. according to this passage today. Seriously. But how's your diet going? I don't have a diet. Have you ever done a diet? Yeah. I'm trying to get back onto my like high protein, lean meat, low carb, no carb, no fat. But but I mean, I've got two little kids and it's just like, how do you... With donuts make, so close. Ex- you oh live my so gosh. close to that Joe Donut Well, place. I used to. I mean, I still live pretty close, but yeah, it's just impossible to make them food and then make myself food and not eat their food when they don't eat their food. Yeah, I end up eating a lot of like grilled cheese edges. Yeah, a lot of crust. Kelly, have you ever done like a long-term diet? I was a vegetarian for a couple years. I mean, that'll do it. So That's biblical. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, real biblical. You showed up for today, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. The real reason you asked I'm me. Glad you've done the, <laughs> I'm glad you've done the work. <laughs> the you Daniel really diet. speak into this, yeah. It's funny because people call it the Daniel fast, but... Daniel plan? Is that what the... Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I probably should do more research into that before I start talking about <laughs> it or knocking it, but I feel like in 10 days, how much can really change? <laughs> well, it, you ever watch Survivor? You see how much they change in 40 days? I used to, but I get the sense that you watch a lot of Survivor. I have watched probably more Survivor than most people listening. Are you still watching? So I didn't finish last season because of the pandemic. Life kind of went off the rails. And it was like the 40th season. Of course. You've watched 40 seasons? (laughs) I haven't watched 40 seasons, but I've seen all the ones that are available to me. So like on Amazon Prime, I think they actually might have them all on Hulu. I don't know. But I've seen how many seasons would you say you've watched? uh, Probably 30. Wow. 25 maybe? Do you feel like you would do well on the show? No, I would be terrible. <laughs> Why? I, the competitions would be fun. I'd like to think that I'd be good at them. Probably wouldn't be, but I'd like to think I'd be good at them. The social aspect to the game. Sometimes you have nice people who everybody loves them. They build good relationships, whatever. Sometimes they win. Oftentimes, you got to be a good liar. It's got to be the, the people end. who subvert the social things. I think you could do that. I, I have a lot of confidence. I, I, I think could you not should lie. apply. I think that we should have a campaign where Brendan goes on Survivor. <laughs> Someone just make a video for me. Just, yeah. yeah. Well, today, there's all that stuff wrapped in something about surviving... I feel like Daniel and his friends are somewhat on like The Bachelor or some sort of reality TV show. It's a little bit like that, yeah. Yeah, they're being whittled down to the last ones. But to get into that and also to get into my comments that don't make a lot of sense from the opener, you want to take us through our reading for today? 
Day two, a different road to success. In yesterday's reading, we were introduced to Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These men were taken captive in Judah and brought to Babylon because of Nebuchadnezzar's foreign policy, a policy which aimed to thwart future rebellions by capturing and indoctrinating the elite citizens of defeated nations. As we read in Daniel 1, 3-7, these four men were placed into a program of forced cultural assimilation. They were given Babylonian names, a Babylonian education, and even a Babylonian diet. That is to say, they were being molded into good and loyal Babylonians. In today's reading, Daniel takes a stand against his new Babylonian diet, but it's not totally clear what problem he had with it. Some suggest the food and drink was not kosher. Others suggest it had been previously offered to idols. Still others think the food was given with an expectation of loyalty. Perhaps accepting and eating the food equaled giving allegiance to Nebuchadnezzar. Whatever the case was, Daniel understood that the diet would defile him. So despite the dangerous penalties he could face, Daniel rejects his assigned diet out of faithfulness to God. In the end, Daniel's courageous faithfulness results in his success. In spite of his defiance of the Babylonian program, Daniel and his friends are granted positions of prominence in the Babylonian kingdom. Their example teaches us an important lesson. We tend to believe that getting ahead requires playing by the rules of this world, no matter what we have to do or who we step on along the way. What we see here, and will continue to see throughout the book, is that success doesn't require us to abandon our values. God honors faithfulness. Whether in the present or in the eternal future, God will elevate the humble who choose to be loyal to him. For day two, we're reading Daniel chapter one, verses eight through 21. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food, and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Kelly, do you want to read the reflection questions for day two? Question one. Daniel 1.9 says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. The words translated here as favor and compassion are important terms. They're used together many other places in scripture to describe how God characteristically acts toward his people. In this situation, God reveals his favor and compassion through the actions of others. What might this verse teach us about God and how he operates? Question two. When have you recently experienced pressure like Daniel to compromise when you knew a decision was wrong? How did you respond?
tell me about the four. You're talking about horses earlier. You well, said isn't, you were that, isn't that. that a thing? There's like four horsemen of the apocalypse. Is like this, oh, uh, you know, their legend and revelation. That, legend. <laughs> yeah, and this is apocalyptic literature. So I figured these guys, Th- these could be the four horsemen. Is that what you're saying? Well, they're the men part. We need horses. The oh. <laughs> there's no assumption that they're like centaurs or something yeah, we'll from to, Greek mythology. Yeah, there's no hint of that. I mean, it was more me making a joke. There's I, no indication I, that they are I, bringing about or representing. You're the only one of, making an indication. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's no theology that backs this up for sure. But not to my knowledge. What does seem to be backed up in this section is that vegetarians are going to be the ones to receive all knowledge and understanding in the world. It could be read that way. If you're just reading this book and you're looking for a diet that's biblical, seems like vegetables are the way to go. Well, you got to read the whole book and then it's not so clear. Well, at the very least, if I want knowledge and understanding, I'm going to be a vegetarian. Well, it's not clear that Daniel is always a vegetarian, right? So I guess... Just for these 10 days. Just for these 10 days. Should we talk about the food issue here a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I'm curious why this is so radical. Because it seems like vegetables would have been somewhat plentiful in this time. Probably more plentiful than people owning their livestock. So Yeah. I mean, I guess it probably was not terribly different. I mean, people are raising cattle today and i don't know but the one thing we know about these guys is they're in the royal courts they're being given food and kings definitely have meat so that's not an issue for them it's Uh, not an issue for you either you seems like you grew up with that i grew up with a lot of meat. iowa has a lot of meat my dad owns a meat locker and a lot of corn a A meat meat locker locker. yeah and so i'm imagining like a school locker is that what we're talking (laughs) about there's just a locker a lot of of fridges and freezers and okay so actually grand champion stuff like at the state fair and for with Jenny the cow, if you remember, that's a couple right seasons from previous ago. seasons. Yeah, yeah. with so Jenny the cow, it all was, comes around. Yeah, was she in the meat locker? We had oh the, gosh, no, that wouldn't be good meat. So, <laughs> fair enough. All right. So, sorry, what are we talking about? Derail you. Yeah, yeah. The king would have access to meat. This yes. is a thing that people had. So, what we have here, these guys are being forced to become Babylonians. Essentially, they're being trained in language and literature. And when we talk about literature, we're talking about like divination and myths and all these different things that help people understand Babylonian ideology. And we're going to read these stories in the future about people who are wise men are supposed to be able to interpret dreams. They're being trained in this same sort of stuff. They're also being told to eat a certain type of food. And for whatever reason, they reject it. And there's a lot of theories on why they rejected it. Some people think it's because it's food that's been given to idols, because a lot of food, especially what's given to the royal court, may have been sacrificed to idols, but vegetables would be as well. And Daniel 10.1 actually says that later on, he fasted from choice food and wine. So it seems like after these 10 days are done or at some point Daniel starts eating this food again. So it's not clear that it's food that's always necessarily wrong. It's also not clear that it's food that is not kosher, especially because wine. I mean, some of this stuff may not be kosher, but there's nothing wrong with drinking wine. So the third suggestion people often have is that this is an issue of loyalty, that if the king gives them food, then this is a way they sort of show their allegiance to the king. And Daniel says, we aren't going to do that. Like we might accept these names. We might be forced to learn this stuff, but this is where we're going to draw the line. We're not going to give our full allegiance to the king, especially because in the ancient world, covenants, which were agreements where you expressed loyalty, it's where you gave allegiance to a king or in the Old Testament to God, those always happen around the context of a meal. And so it could be that what's happening here is there's almost like a covenant sort of being made where Daniel and his friends eat this food, commit to being good followers of the Babylonian king, and they say, we're not going to do that. It's almost like a dependency thing. It's like, you know, if you want to live, you have 
have to eat this and I'm the one who can provide it and therefore you're dependent yeah. and you come back to me type of thing. Yeah, it's, in the Roman Empire, we talk about this like benefactors, these emperors who would give of their resources to people across the empire as a way of showing that they provide and the expectation was that there would be loyalty in return. And so that could be what's happening So here. Daniel's already being kind of a rebel. He's already being kind of a rebel. I like him more now. <laughs> I mean, yesterday's reading, he kind of got conquered. Well, we, yeah, we, too. we didn't have a whole lot of character development. So the first character development is he says no. Yeah. He says, I'm not up for this. And it seems like he's starting to make waves in the court because mm-hmm. he's starting to build relationships a little bit. And I noticed that the Lord was the one. He's still the cause of most things. Yeah. And he's the one to have the royal official showing favor towards Daniel and his friends. Mm-hmm. It seems like that's a theme that's going to continue to happen is the Lord is in control this whole time. We talked about this and actually one of the questions, this idea that God was working behind the scenes to show favor and compassion. Those words right there, favor and compassion, chesed and rachamim are key words in the Old Testament. These are core characteristics of God. When you look at Exodus 34, 6, when God says, this is what I'm like, I am gracious and compassionate. Those are the words that we see right here. But now God is expressing it through people, which I think is really fascinating that God, sometimes he shows those characteristics maybe directly to people, but sometimes he actually works through people to reveal those things. I think it's interesting that for Daniel and his friends, they're of like school aged, they're youth. Yeah. And that's the way that they're identified. And they're the ones who are given the option of whether or not they can stand up. I'm curious, Kelly, it's really easy to be like, hey, kids, you should stand up. But we're also supposed to obey our parents and authority. And like, you know, most of our life until we're 18, we're living under the authority. And I say that up to 18 let's be real it's much further beyond that but it's very apparent when we're going to school and we're learning that there are authorities above us all the time so how do you stand up to systems when you feel like and you think and you are experiencing them and you're like there's no way that this is from god but at the same time you feel powerless because this is how the world works It's a big question. Brendan, you said how God is working behind the scenes. And I think something that's really cool about Daniel and his friend's example of refusing the choice diet is that to everyone on the outside, they didn't know that they were doing that. So it was almost like an internal decision Mm -hmm. so they could keep their integrity and know that they weren't assimilating to what was going on around them. But at this point, correct me if I'm wrong, it wasn't like this outward rebellion. It was an inward rebellion so that they knew, but it wasn't yet like standing up and making a splash, which I think sometimes we feel like if we need to stand our ground or show what we believe, it needs to be this really big outward showing. And that's true. Sometimes we need to stand up and speak out. But I think that's easier sometimes to do to make like a performance of what you believe rather than taking the time to internally look at what steps and actions you're going to take and what they mean internally so that you know in your heart that what you're doing aligns with what you believe. That's really interesting. This, I mean, they have 10 days essentially where Mm -hmm. they're allowed to do this because it's not going to be abundantly clear to the king yet that this is what's going on. So behind the scenes, they're being faithful to God. We show our loyalty in very public ways. Mm -hmm. If possible. If possible. Because then I get the glory, right? Yeah. And it shows that I'm (laughs) the one who made the good decision, right? I think that's super interesting too, because there's a required faith if you do that. Like what you're doing behind the scenes is going to pay off in the long run Mm -hmm. and have some sort of external 
visualization or realization just like happens to Daniel after those 10 days you know yeah. they were shown to be 10 times better not just because of the food but because of how they chose to live their lives and their mm -hmm. integrity right it's this theme that we talked about yesterday and we'll continue to see throughout the book of Daniel this idea that God will reward faithfulness sometimes he does it immediately for Daniel's friends later on in the book of Daniel we'll discover that it doesn't always come immediately oftentimes it comes through a lot of really tough suffering but God sees when we express our faithfulness to him when we make those tough decisions that may have really difficult consequences for us if we choose to not operate in the ways that the world wants to operate we say we're going to do it in god's way god sees that and in the end he's going to honor that one way or another that's easier said than done though yeah that's, that's why i qualified tough. it that sounds you know a little tough for me the question is like how do you pick your battles how do we know when to stand up to systems because they're incompatible with God's design? Or how do we discern whether it's that or whether we just don't like something or someone? Particularly like when we're in school, yeah. when we're in high school or in college, like we've been told that we are the change. We are the like future. And I have a lot of things that I think should happen. But how do we know when they're from God and when they're not? I mean, this goes even into the workplace. If my boss is telling me to do something that I disagree with fundamentally, how do I know if, if it's because of what God has designed or is it because of what I personally just feel? I mean, the simple answer, but also I think the right <laughs> and big answer is that... Is it, it, you're going to say Jesus? Oh, is no, that the churchy answer? I'm going to say wisdom. We've talked about this, and we're going to continue to talk about this, this idea that we have to have wisdom, which doesn't come from ourselves, it comes from God, but wisdom to navigate the complexities of situations and to know when should we act this way and when should we act this way? When should we say this thing? And that's not always crystal clear. You know, it takes some experience in life. It takes wisdom to know how is this situation going to shake out. One of the things I find fascinating, you look at the book of Proverbs, a book that's all about wisdom. There's a couple Proverbs that I've always thought this is so cool. They seem to be contradictory. In Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, it says, do not answer a fool according to his folly or you yourself will be just like him. And then you have a proverb that says almost the exact opposite thing answer a fool according to his folly or he will be wise in his own eyes it's like there are situations that call for answering a fool in his folly and there are situations that call for not doing it and the only way you know when the right time to do that is through wisdom and so picking your battles knowing when to speak up knowing is this really like something god would want me to stand up against or this isn't what i want you have to see the world through God's eyes. You have to have that perspective that Why God wants. Why are you pointing to... at me while you I'm say not, that? That's I, really rude. I'm not pointing to you. I'm just, just calling me out. I'm talking up. with my hands. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's a big question. Like, how do you know when it's yourself or when it's for the greater good that you need to rebel against an authority, whether school or work or whatever? But I think something that really stuck out to me about Daniel and his friends is that they still entered the king's service. They still did their job. They still did those things, even though we know they didn't agree with Nebuchadnezzar, even though we know that they were exiles that were just brought to this place against their will. They still did their job with excellence, but I think when it came to something that compromised what they knew was immoral or against God's will, and we'll see this more throughout the book, that's when they feel like they have to outwardly take a stand. But I think a lot of times we think we can't be associated in any sense with anything that isn't 100% of God or yeah. the Christian, quote unquote, or something like that. But I think it's more nuanced and that's why it's all easier said than done. But I think it's really amazing that Daniel is one of probably people in the Bible who has the highest character in his whole story, but he still operates within these systems that he doesn't agree with. 
Yeah, he could rebel by just, well, he couldn't rebel by just leaving. Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't let him. But I think that's how we want to act sometimes. Like sometimes with our freedoms, we think we'll just pick up and leave. And I love that you pointed this out, Kelly, that through it all, he still is a good model citizen. Like in Daniel 6, by the end of these narratives, he's risen to the top. Like he's basically second in command. And it's because God's blessed him through his faithfulness. But it's also because through it all, like he picks his battles and he's a good servant. And so it's not a complete and total utter rebellion. He's someone who's not corrupt, who's not negligent. He's a politician, as we see in Daniel 6, who is always doing the right thing. And so that's what it is. It's having a perspective from God and just saying, God, what would you have me do in this situation? What would you have me do in this situation? What would you have me do in this situation? And that just takes practice. That takes learning, takes wisdom. And it takes to get wisdom, you have to be connected to God. I think you kind of answered what was going to be my next question is like, okay, if you've identified something is not of God, then how do you then confront it? It depends on the situation. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'd... well, but I think you both kind of answered it already. You have to operate as best you can yeah. in the current circumstances, but knowing that if you come up against something that's immoral, that's when you should take your stand. Yeah, you don't just passively go silent and, and allow these things to continue. You speak up, and that's what Daniel does. He has courage, but he also doesn't always do it in the most dramatic ways. And I think that's something to look at as well. Is like he continues doing the right thing from beginning to end. And if we would live like that, if Christians would choose to live like that and not always be so in your face, you know, if we just had integrity and weren't, you know, hypocrites, you know, that Jesus calls out in the Gospels, we would make a difference in this world. It's so important to... I think be in tune with God. And I think we have seen and we'll see that that's how Daniel knows when and what to do. And there's one Bible scholar who describes how Daniel acts in his rebellion of the diet and things like that. She describes it as description, not prescription. And I think a lot mm. of times we look to the Bible or examples because we want like a step-by-step -step plan of yeah. what to do or how to act. Like I grew up in a church where if you wanted to fast and pray, you did the Daniel diet because that's yeah. what the Bible said. So I think rereading and studying this scripture was actually really healing for me to see that, okay, it's actually just a guide and an example, a description of how one person did it. And we can look to the Bible, we can pray, go to our community to find support in these times where we don't know what it looks like to stand up against these systems or to speak out. But the Bible is full of different stories of people who do it well and people who do it poorly. And it's all things to learn from. I think that's a huge point, even just like in reading this book and navigating what is been characterized as apocalyptic literature. We're all looking for that step-by-step -step guide that we can take and go and apply it to our lives because that's easier, right? so much easier if it's black and white like yeah. that. But the reality is we're looking at themes and processes and human stories mm -hmm. on how they were able to navigate in their time. And we're supposed to use their example and apply it to ourselves, which is a much more like gray area, right? There are a lot of characters. Daniel is one who's worth emulating. Like, he did, they don't even like document sin in the book for him, right? At least not that I'm aware of. And what's fascinating is actually by the end, he's confessing that he's part of a sinful community, which we'll talk about that more later. I think that's <laughs> fascinating. But Throughout the Bible, there are a lot of people that, if we read it that way, that their characters to imitate, well, no, like if you, <laughs> you're reading it wrong if you think that some of these judges are people that God has raised up to be models for us. You're reading it wrong if you think that Abraham is always a model of faithfulness. And more times than not, he's actually acting faithlessly and God proves his faithfulness to the promises he made to Abraham in spite of what Abraham does wrong. And so we've got to read it sensitively and not as though these are always stories and people to imitate. It's 
stories that we need to read and discern, have wisdom again to discern what is right, what went well in this situation, what went wrong, and how might that then teach me about how to live in my own context. My kind of final question for today's reading, because we said that we were going to do this in the intro and in day one, we were going to not assume that we're the Daniels or the four, whatever I called them, the men of the apocalypse. And we should be able to flip the story on its head and look at ourselves in Nebuchadnezzar too. How do we learn from the way that Nebuchadnezzar is acting in this situation and the system and power that he has established? No, I think he's trying to force everybody to enter into his program and follow his program. And his program isn't right. <laughs> you know, his program isn't always consistent with what God would desire for people in this world. And so I think we have to ask, are we forcing people to follow systems and programs that we think might be best because it's going to work best for the empire that I'm building? But are they consistent with the kingdom God is trying to build? And as Christians, that's what we need to seriously ask is, are we trying to build our own empire? or are we contributing to the kingdom of God? And if we're contributing to the kingdom of God, are we doing it in the ways that God would desire for his kingdom to be built? If I was going to say one more thing to do with that, it is that Nebuchadnezzar started with this idea that, listen, this is how I do it. I conquer lands. I pull people from where they are. I put them into my system based on how attractive they are and how many defects they don't have. You're in this camp and you are going to eat my food, be trained how I want you to, because I believe that everybody's the same and they should be treated that way. And Daniel shows right here in the first chapter, not everybody's the same. And in fact, there are a lot of things that we can learn from the slaves and the powerless in this environment, in this society, where, man, if you would just listen to them, these people are 10 times better than anybody else Hmm. in the kingdom in this area. And like, kudos to Nebuchadnezzar. He identifies it. He can see it. And he sees that like, actually, you know what? This is the model that everybody should be following. Because I thought it was over here, but these guys decided to take a chance and risk really their lives. Their lives are always on the line when they're powerless. And they show that there is another way to do things. So as much as like we like to vilify Nebuchadnezzar, there are positive traits about everybody in these stories, even from the villains. And that's the question is, in our lives... In our realities, where are we being Nebuchadnezzar's and where are we being the Daniels? It's not just about having our internal protests and changing the way that we think that things should run from the bottom, but it's also what power systems have we established and thought are the right ways that we need to start to reevaluate and look at the people who are powerless and how they're dealing with the world. Thanks for joining us today for the Journey Through Daniel podcast. If this is your first time, so glad that you checked us out. To check out even more resources, children and family resources, and ebooks for all ages, visit our journey page at willowjourney.org. And follow us for updates at Willow Creek NS on Instagram. If you have questions or would like to learn more about the ministries of Willow Creek Community Church, check us out at willowcreek.org. We'll see you next time.